Uh, yeah, so first reading is Ezekiel 37. It's 1 through 14. Um, I love this passage. It's so exciting. So I'm really excited to read it. So starting at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there came a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and the skin covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. And the second reading tonight is from John chapter 16, beginning at verse 5, and that's on page 765 in your Bibles. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, 
and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. I don't know whether you've ever thought that uh, your life is a bit like that of the, the caterpillar. Ever thought about that? You know, those ugly, slimy little things that crawl around on leaves. I imagine that you're the, you're the caterpillar and you find this little leaf and you find this perfect leaf that you're going to nibble on and you settle down and you have a little nap. And then it just happens to you. And you just can't seem to stop it. And you can't explain what is happening to you. And then suddenly, suddenly you've gone from this little caterpillar who has, has no life and no future, and suddenly you're into this beautiful butterfly. You ever thought that your life might be like a caterpillar? You used to be confined to this little leaf with a blinkered view about life and suddenly you're floating in the air with a new life and a new freedom and a new view of this world. I wonder how that caterpillar felt. I guess he was pretty stunned, wouldn't he? <laughs> what happened to me? Uh, that's what I was like and now suddenly I, my whole life has just changed. And I would hope that caterpillar is thrilled filled with his new freedom and new life and new identity. I want to say that if you're a Christian here tonight, so if you're a believer in Christ here tonight, that is your story. You once were a caterpillar, and now you're a beautiful butterfly. The moment that you met Jesus, you were given new life and new freedom and new hope and a new future. I've had the privilege over many years at Church by the Bridge of baptizing many, many believers. We take them down to Blues Point and we baptize them in the water. Let me just share some of their stories. There was a lady last week who described how she felt empty and she was desperate. And she described how she came to church for many years, but she could not accept God loved her unconditionally. And she stood up last week and explained how that all changed. And now she is just amazed at God's unconditional love for her. What happened to her? The Spirit of God grabbed hold of her and opened her eyes and changed her heart. There's a guy who described how it was almost like Jesus was a magnet, he was irresistible. He kept wanting to read more and find out more. He didn't know where it was coming from. Where was that coming from? The Spirit of God at work in him. There's another lady who described herself as a reluctant convert. She didn't want to believe. She had all these intellectual arguments and, and theological confusions. And she really did not want to believe in Jesus. 
And today she's an active member of our 5 p.m. congregation. Loving Jesus. What happened to her? The Spirit of God came upon her, came into her, opened her eyes. There's another guy who describes his conversion as like, like a light, a spot lamp is being shone into his heart and mind. And he's suddenly convicted of his, of his guilt of sin and his desperate need for a savior. And he read Mark's gospel and he met Jesus. But that's because the spirit of God was convicting him. And my story is a bit similar. There was no crisis in my life. I had, a I had a particularly easy life in many ways. But there was something about Jesus. I kept reading about Jesus and finding out more about Jesus. And suddenly one day, I was utterly convinced, utterly convicted that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the Spirit of God at work in my life. Now, tonight I want to talk about the Spirit and salvation. The Spirit and, and new birth. Uh, come with me to... To John, John chapter 3. God says, if, if you have been born again, that's the work of the Spirit in your life. Without the Spirit, there'd be no believers and no, no church and no one will be saved. Jesus meets a man called Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It's on page 751. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a, a, man, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he, he's a religious man. He's an influential leader. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's obviously fasting and praying and tithing and doing what those Jewish people do. He came to Jesus at, at night, verse 2, and said, Rabbi, or teacher, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. I want you to imagine the shock there. It's a bit like you go for a job interview and you have all the qualifications you could possibly need. And they say, sorry, you haven't got the job. And you say to them, well, what do I need to do? Tell me, what, ex what extra qualifications do I need to do to get this job? And they turn around to you and say, oh, you need to come back as a completely different person. And then you'll get the job. That's what he's saying. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is confused. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb. Here it is, verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of both water and the spirit. Flesh give birth to flesh. That's, that's a normal human birth. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. We need a spiritual birth. So you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Notice you must be born again. And Jesus uses a great analogy, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You see the link, verse 7, you must be born again. Verse 8, everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's saying to be born again means to be born of the Spirit. To be born again means that the Spirit of God has taken hold of you and given you new birth. And it's just like the wind. Do you remember Hurricane Yassi in February last year? 
that, that Category 5 storm that they predicted in northern Queensland. And, you know, the, the meteorologists, uh, they predicted it was coming, but they couldn't tell you where it would hit. They couldn't tell you what damage it would do. And so everyone bunkered down, and they ran for their lives, and they just sat it out and waited. And what I loved was seeing the pictures after the hurricane had come through. Because in the same village, same town, you had one house that was completely destroyed. It bore the full impact of that wind. And a house almost next door to it, completely untouched. How did that happen? The same wind comes through, one is touched, one is untouched. And Jesus says, that is like the Spirit of God. I hope you know that, that, that you and I cannot predict who the Spirit of God is going to be at work in and bring to new life. Now, we've got a whole room full of people doing Christianity Explored. They will hear the same talks, have the same discussions. And I know that some of them will end that course and they'll give their life to Jesus Christ. And others will walk away saying, no, not for me. But you know what? I can't predict who they're going to be. Because that's the Spirit's work. To open the blind eyes. What prompts a person in one family to, to believe and then the person they love is just so, so hard to the gospel? That's the Spirit's work. I remember gospeling a, a friend at university. You know when you're zealous as a new believer and you invite them to every single talk you can and two or three years no 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 and then another friend who i thought was so untouchable when it comes to christian things he's the one who phones me up and says can i come to church with you and he's the one who god saved how does that work the spirit of god because only the Spirit can bring about new birth, and you and I cannot predict where the Spirit's going to work, who He's going to work in. Please don't think you know who God is going to save. Nicodemus is confused in verse 9. How can this be? He should know, if he's read his Old Testament, that, that reading from Ezekiel about uh, it's actually the Spirit that brings life into these dry bones. He should know that. Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, Jesus says, and don't, you don't understand these things? I, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe those things. So how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things or spiritual things? And then he tells them how it's going to happen, how this rebirth happens. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That's Jesus who came down from heaven. Now just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Do you remember the Old Testament incident back in Numbers where Israel sinned, God punishes them, and they're all dying, and God sends a solution. He says... Look at this bronze snake on the pole, and you will live. Can you imagine how insulting that is to their intelligence? How insulting that is to their own power and own ability? 
I want to save myself. I want to protect myself. I don't look at this stupid bronze snake. But those who looked at the bronze snake did live. And, and Jesus is saying, it might be insulting to your intelligence to look at a crucified man on a cross, but that has, that's what God has promised as his salvation for souls. That's the only way to be saved. It's very simple. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and points you to the cross of God and makes you a child of God. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and points you to the cross of God and makes you a child of God, and you're not in control of that. That's the Spirit's work. Because no one, no one can be born again without the work of the Holy Spirit. And I hope you're stunned by that. You have no control over it. I'm not saying that we just sit back like little robots and let the Spirit do all his work. Of course you do the hard work of listening to Jesus and understanding and repenting, but even that's the work of the Spirit. Now, when you started to read the Bible and, and show that interest in Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. When you were conscious of your sin, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I reckon the clearest passage is in John chapter 16 that was read to us, page 765. What does Jesus say? Verse 7. Unless I go away, the counselor, that's the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now when he comes, what's the Spirit's job? He will convict. That word means bring something to light. It means show it up. Bring awareness of it. Convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. It's like the... The Spirit of God opens your eyes and you see the darkness of your sin and the glory of Christ. Verse 9, in regard to sin, because men don't believe in me. Sin isn't just your lying and your cheating and your hatred and your prejudice and your greed. Sin is the attitude that, that I won't let God be God. And the Spirit convicts you that you've fallen short of the glory of God. For me personally, for many, many years, I wasn't even aware of my sin. It wasn't until I started to look at Jesus that the Spirit kind of disturbed me and convinced me and awakened me to just what a wretch I really am. That's what the Spirit keeps on doing in my life. All the time, showing me the layers of my sin hidden within me. He convicts you of righteousness. Verse 10, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father. The Spirit convicts you that Jesus is the righteous one, Jesus is the, the holy, blameless, perfect Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life. And verse 11, in regard to judgment, end-time judgment, because the prince of this world, that is the devil, now stand condemned at the cross. That's what the Spirit does. He takes your mind and he lifts it off the, the vain things of this world and onto eternal things. He, he takes your heart and he shines a spotlight onto your sin. And then he points you to Jesus. And to that last day when you're going to hear those words, those who trust in my son, welcome home. I hope you know that, that you cannot be reborn unless the Spirit has been at work in you. So when was that? I'm not asking you personally. If you're here tonight and you call yourself a believer, when was that? 
When did the Spirit convict your heart and mind of your sin and the righteousness of Christ and the judgment to come? And if he has done that, what's the right response? Thank you, Spirit of God, because I could never have done that myself. No one can be born again without the work of the Spirit. There's a flip side to it. Next point is that everyone who is born again has the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Look at this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's on the screen. I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying is that if you're here tonight saying Jesus is Lord, then you must have the Holy Spirit in you. You cannot say Jesus is Lord unless you've got the Spirit. So please, please, please don't let anybody ever tell you that you haven't got the Spirit of God in you. And please don't let anyone ever tell you that you need more of the Spirit of God in you. That is ridiculous. Remember, the Spirit is a person. Not a force, he's a person. So he's either in you or he's not in you. It's like me saying, oh, my mother-in-law's coming to our home on Friday. And I come next week and I say, oh, I only got 70% of my mother-in-law in my house on Friday. You say, that's ridiculous. Either she was there or she wasn't there. And the Spirit's either in you or he's not in you. If you've been born again, you've got the Spirit of God living in you. You don't receive the Spirit in installments. You don't receive the Spirit in little bits. He's either in you or he's not in you. But, listen very carefully. Of course, of course, we all need to let the Holy Spirit have more of us. It's not that we have more of him, but it's, it's, it's actually inviting him to have more of us, saying, this is my part of my life. And you say, no, no, God, this is the whole of my life. All of it's yours. You take down the barriers. You remove those no-go areas from the Holy Spirit. And you say, here I am. Take all of me. Of course you can pray that the, the Holy Spirit will do more extraordinary things in and through you. Of course you should pray that you might be given certain gifts like tongues and healing and hospitality and administration. But look at those in week four. Of course you should pray that the, the Spirit of God miraculously empowers you to serve and to trust and to run to Jesus in that refuge in times of storm. Of course you pray all those things. But it's not praying that you have more of the Holy Spirit. It's just praying that, you, that the Holy Spirit has more of you. And that's the difference, I think, between what the Bible talks about being baptized with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And we get those two so confused. So many Christians are despondent and discouraged, or they're puffed up and proud because they confuse being baptized with the Spirit to being filled with the Spirit. As I read my Bible, being baptized with the Spirit is that one-off event that happens at your conversion when you receive the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit is that ongoing event that you and I be more and more and more filling with the Spirit. I know some people teach that being baptized with the Spirit is an event subsequent to your conversion, often linked to receiving a spiritual gift, often called the second blessing. 
And you end up with these believers who are longing for and yearning for that experience of receiving the Spirit. I'll put it as simply as I can. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been baptized with the Spirit. But you need to be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way. Uh, call me selfish, but I want to be, receive a second blessing and a third blessing and a fourth blessing and an infinite number of blessings as the Spirit of God fills me and fills me and fills me and I experience more of his power at work in my life. And we'll look next week at Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit. But Ephesians 5 says this. Let me just read it to you. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing thing. And literally speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart, always giving thanks and submitting to one another. As you're being filled more and more and more with the Spirit of God, He changes your words, He changes your attitude. You're you're thankful and you're submissive and you're joyful. But that's the work of being filled with the Spirit, not being baptized with the Spirit. As you read the Bible, uh, being baptized with the Spirit is mentioned in every gospel. Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, John 1, where John the Baptist points forward to a day when uh, Jesus Christ will baptize, not with water, but with the Spirit of God. Look at these words from Acts. They're on the screen, Acts chapter 1. Don't leave Jerusalem. This is to the, the disciples waiting for the ascension and then for the Pentecost. But wait for the gift of my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. That's the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus doesn't tell his disciples if they've emptied themselves enough of their sin and their self-centeredness, and if they're holy enough, then they'll be baptized with the Spirit. He just says, wait, believe, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. The same in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches. Next, Next slide. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's fascinating. Nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to yearn for and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you repented, you've got forgiveness and you've received the Spirit. So please don't pray for this so-called baptism of the Spirit. What you need to pray for is being filled with the Spirit, keeping a step with the Spirit and not quenching the Spirit and not grieving the Spirit. And that's so liberating. It is so liberating because it rids us of our pride, it rids us of our arrogance. If you're a Christian, you've got the Spirit and so have I. The question is, are you living by that Spirit? The other thing this does that the Spirit of God actually brings a rebirth is that it's such a relief in our evangelism, isn't it? It's such a relief in evangelism because, yes, we've got a responsibility to shine like stars. And yes, you've got an obligation to to talk about Jesus in in word and deed. But the sovereign spirit of God will be the one who convicts people of sin, not you. And that's liberating. I can never predict who's going to believe. It also rebukes me that, I don't know whether you're like me, but I often judge people from outward appearance. I look at them and go, oh yeah, he's likely to become a believer or she's not likely to become a believer. And then the Spirit just humbles me and often it's the other way around. 
That's the spirit with work. He brings new birth. Here's my second and my last point tonight. He assures us of new birth. I remember soon after I became a Christian, about six months after I became a Christian, I went to talk to my Bible study leader because I was in despair, I guess. Because I thought that once I became a believer, all my old temptation would just disappear overnight. And you know, six months later, I was still battling with pride. I still got jealous. I still struggle with sexual purity. I remember going to see David and said, David, what's going on? Am I really saved? I remember David sitting down with me and talking about assurance and how actually if the spirits at work in you, you'll actually battle even more against sin. And this is the verse that he took to me, took me to, it's 22 years ago, Ephesians 1, it's on the screen. Beautiful words. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. That's when you included the gospel of your salvation. Now having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guarantee our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. Isn't that remarkable? The Spirit is your seal. He's your seal. For those of us who, who love the voice, I'm kind of addicted to the voice at the moment. <laughs> A bit cheesy, but you could say, I'm on team seal. I'm on team seal. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be your seal? It means that you are secure. It means that you experience God's protection and God's power and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. You're sealed with the Spirit. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Daniel was put into the lion's den? The word that's used is that they sealed the den. And they sealed it thinking that, that Daniel would be destroyed. But God sealed it to show that he was the powerful one who would protect him. Remember when they, they sealed Jesus in a tomb? Uh, the guards sealed the tomb to stop the grave robbers, but God sealed the tomb. Why? To show that God had the power even to defeat death. That's what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's that, that confidence, that security that your God is powerful and that your God will protect you. Now, I find that a massive comfort. You know when you go through the trials of life, the storms of life? I just read an amazing book. It's called... Um, uh, strength in the Time of Storms or something like that by Paul Tripp. And it's amazing, just reminding me that wh whatever trials you're going through in life, please don't question your salvation. Now, when you're struggling, you're fighting your sin and you're in so much pain, physical pain perhaps, or emotional pain, and you're saying, has God left me? Am I really saved? Remember, you're sealed with the Spirit. That God will protect you. That God is powerful enough to, to bring you whatever you're going through. And you can be confident. You're confident that you are born again. What's the other word used? It's there in verse. It's, he is a deposit. 
guaranteeing your inheritance. He's not just the one who is sealing it and is there showing his power, there showing his presence with you. He's actually the deposit. What's a deposit for? It's a down payment on something that you are guaranteed in the future. You know when you put a deposit on a car? Uh, you, know, you buy a car for 20 grand and you put a two grand deposit. What you're saying there is, this is now mine, but I've got an obligation to pay the rest of it. But I've also got a foretaste of what it's going to be like. And that's what God is saying to you by his spirit if you're born again. You've got the deposit. You are his. You are a child of God. You are his precious son, his precious daughter. You can be sure of that. And God has got an obligation to pay the rest, to bring about the full redemption. And you've got a foretaste, just a glimpse, a little snifter, if you want, of what it's going to be like when you're rid of your sin and you've got rid of all your sickness and all your sadness and you see him face to face. He's just left his spirit just to give you a little taste of how glorious heaven's going to be. And if you're here tonight and you are born again, I want to urge you to, to, to grasp hold of that, that the Spirit is your seal, the Spirit is your deposit, you're on team seal. You cannot be rocked, you cannot be shaken. Nothing can separate you. When you doubt, when you question, when you struggle, when you cry, when you mourn, when you grieve, the Spirit of God is in you, reminding you, you're a child of God, you're born again, you are going to heaven. Don't let anybody shake you with that, please. Please. If you're here tonight, you're a believer. I want to say thank you, Holy Spirit. Because nobody could bring new birth apart from the Spirit of God. Don't let anybody tell you you haven't got the Spirit. You have got the Spirit. And just be certain and be sure. Because the Spirit's your seal. He's your deposit. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you as weak, frail, sinful, struggling, proud, powerless people. Spirit of God, we praise you for your work in bringing us from death to life, breathing life into these dead bodies. We praise you, Spirit of God, for the way that you've opened our eyes to the glories of Jesus. You've shown us the, the dreadfulness of our sin and the magnificence of your Son. And Spirit, we, we praise you that while we were still sinners, you took hold of us and opened our eyes and, and reminded us of how glorious you are. Thank you for that new birth. And Lord, I do pray if there are people here tonight who do not yet call Jesus Lord and Savior, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, please work in them tonight. Open their eyes, open their hearts, soften their hearts and show them Jesus. Thank you, Spirit of God, that we are certain and secure and we are protected by your powerful spirit. Please never, never let us be shaken. Never let us doubt 
Help us to hold firm to your cross, longing to see your son face to face. In his name.